So go within your Bibles to uh, Psalm 40. You know, just to say, Mark and Carol were with us in uh, California. I reckon it was two weekends ago now, yeah? And uh, they were they were just a huge blessing and a huge delight. I mean, they're such relational people and such kingdom people. And uh, we had them down there with us just to build relationships and bring a good report about what God is doing in Colorado. And I want to tell you this, when they were down there, they they boasted about you guys and bragged about you guys and and the, and the good people that God is sending them. So so know how much they love you and know how well they talk of you when 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 they're away from here. Yeah, they were an absolute delight. Made good friends down there, I believe. And uh, it's uh, it just was an incredible time. So thank you for releasing them. It's 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 a big deal. I, I know that because I've travelled. I've done this for the last uh, let me see 90, since 1995. However many years that is. And so I know as a church it's a big deal to have your lead guy out, your, your, you know, and other people having to cover things. So I, honestly, from the bottom of our heart, we want to thank you for releasing them and uh, bless you for doing that. Eh? Okay, Psalm 40. We're going to read this whole psalm, yeah? It's a beautiful psalm. And uh, just felt, felt like as I was praying, obviously I have been praying for you guys a lot. I do pray for you guys. But I uh, was praying for you guys a lot and just felt in God just to read through this psalm and make a few comments tonight, hopefully, and we're going we're gonna to close the meeting with some communion, yeah? Is that alright? So that's the plan. Okay, Psalm 40. And we know this, that the church prayed the psalms. The early church used the psalms as a prayer planner for probably about the first 1500 years of the church's existence the church would pray through the psalms they would use this as their prayer model just pray through the psalms and I I think somehow in our day we've lost some of that we've made the songs only about worship and it's only the worship leaders and the songwriters that go to psalms but I want to tell you this, this book still has incredible value for us in our day it still should be something that we look at, still be something that we learn from, and still be something that we pray through. Yeah? And so, you know, every book has got a theme, right? You know, Genesis is the creator. You know? Psalms, the theme of Psalms is this. The Lord is my shepherd. That's the whole theme. That's what historians, theologians will say to we're going to narrow the whole book of Psalms down. We're going to come down to this point here. The Lord is my shepherd. Isn't that beautiful? And so we can understand this, that in, in, in hard times, in tough times, in troubling times, we can go here and allow the good shepherd himself, the great shepherd himself, to shepherd us from this word. Amen? We can allow God to speak to us out of this word in a pastoral way. We're going to read the book of Acts and we want to take nations and take cities. We come here and we just feel the love of God and the favor of God and the grace of God. God pouring out on us. The Lord is my shepherd. 
That's different from the Lord is a shepherd, right? It's different. It's different from the Lord is a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. That's the revelation that the prodigal came to, right? Took off running, tried his best to live as if he didn't have a father. Yeah? Give me my inheritance. You know when you get your inheritance? Yeah? When your father does. So he said, I, I want my inheritance. It's like saying, I wish you were dead. I wish my father didn't exist. And then he tries to go double down and he goes to a far off place. He's saying, okay, it's not good enough that I wish you were dead. I'm going to go as far away from your influence as I can and I'm going to live and do my own thing. And the Bible tells us that's exactly what he did. And then the Bible says he came to his senses. I don't want to preach that. I was just using this as an example. The Bible says he came to his senses and this was his duh moment, right? Yeah? Every now and then we need a, like a spiritual duh yeah? And this was his duh moment. He said, Surely the servants in my father. You see, he tried to make out as if that relationship didn't exist. He, he tried his best to defile it. He tried his best to destroy it. But when the chips were down and he had his duh moment, it was my father. The Lord is my shepherd. This is my father. And that speaks about connectivity. It speaks about ownership, both of the Father to us and us of Him. The Lord is my shepherd. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the author, the initiator of our faith, and He is the finisher. He is the author and completor of our faith. What He started in us, He will not leave halfway. He will ensure that He finishes because that is who He is. Author and finisher of our faith. That's the shepherd. That's the shepherd that will walk the sheep. That's the shepherd that will wait for the lame, that will wait for the weak. And yes, while we're waiting for the lame and the weak, we are taking cities and taking nations. I love Kara's word. That while he is this, this incredible God, he says, I choose you, and I choose you, and I choose you, and I choose you. Because God is a God of the nations and generations. God is outside of time and space. Yeah? Doesn't that blow your mind? God is outside of time and space. Do you understand that God sees every single person that's ever lived on the face of the earth all at the same time? Not just the ones that are alive now, because he's outside of that, right? He's outside of time and space. So every single person from Adam to where we are now and everyone that will live until he comes back again, he sees them all in the same time frame. Because he's outside of our time frame. And yet he goes, I choose you, and I choose you, and I see you, and I see you. That's our shepherd, my friends. That's who we serve. That's the one that wants to love us, and love us, and love us, and pour out his grace on us. And it's not about anything we do. And not about anything we do, not about anything we did, not about anything we could do. It's all about what He did to bring us back into that place of friendship with the Father so that we can say, this is my Father.
the Lord is my shepherd. You doing right? Okay, let's read this Psalm 40 real quick. Okay, we're going to read the whole psalm. Yeah? It's, a, it's a little lengthy, but that's good. It's the Word of God, right? Amen. Okay, so reading from verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Verse 5. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you planned for us, none can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll, I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. Verse 12. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, Aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you Rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, The Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. Isn't that a beautiful psalm, eh? Absolutely. Just rich, rich, rich in so many different ways. And I want to say this. We're going to go, we're going to go quickly. I want to say this. You know, it's always been important to God where we look, right? We know God says to Jeremiah, what do you see, Jeremiah? You know, we know Isaiah says, I saw the Lord so caught up in worship, so caught up in the presence of God, that in a sense, he overhears the conversation of the throne room of God. God saying, all these nations, all these people, who can we send and who will go? And Isaiah so caught up in the presence of the of the. Uh, so caught up in the presence of God that he oversee, overhears the, the conversation of the throne room of heaven. And overwhelmed at that time, he says, Here are my Lord, send me. But he says this, I saw the Lord. Hebrews tells us this, that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our gaze on Jesus. Now let me tell you, it's an important thing. In the Second World War, they found this out. Target fixation, right? 
They had these old iron sights, not all the fancy electronics, on the fighter planes, right? These old iron sights on the front of the Spitfires, um, Hurricanes. And so what they would have is the pilots would come in, they would be focusing on a target, focusing on a tank on the ground, and they had to put that sight on the target, right? Go to guns, and they would literally, they would fly into the target. So fixated on the target that they could not pull out. That's target fixation. So this is what they, this is what they, friend of mine trained with the British police, uh, motorcycle unit. And when he heard me preaching this one time and he said this, he said, you know, that's absolutely true. He said, when we were in this motorcycle training class, they told us this, if you run off the road on your motorcycle, don't look at the trees. Look at the gap between the trees. If you look at the tree, you're going to hit that tree. It's called target fixation. Right? Look at the gap between the trees. You're going to go between the trees. That's why the Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus. We need some target fixation on the Lord, our shepherd. We need some target fixation on Jesus. He needs to be the central theme and focus. All the, now I'm preaching to the choir because I know these guys and I know that's what I'll be telling you guys anyway. It's important what we see. It's important where we fix our gaze. And I'm going to break this psalm up in six sections real quick. I'll just give you the headlines and then we'll work through them, right? So verses 1 to 3, looking backwards. Verses 4 to 5, looking upwards. And we're going to go over these things again. I'm just giving you the outline, right? Looking inward, verse 6 to 8. Verses 9 to 11, looking outward. Verses 12 to 15, looking around. And verses 16 to 17, looking forward. That's how the psalm breaks up. And it's wonderful because we learned about this thing, about fixing our eyes on Jesus, about looking where we're going. And this psalm is going to teach us some wonderful things. You're doing all right? So looking backwards. We know that was Psalm uh, 40, verses 1 to 3. And we see this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, he set my feet on the rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Aren't you glad it didn't end there? Right? Because then we look back and we look at all the tough stuff. I was stuck in the mud. I was stuck in the slimy pit. That's not sounding like a happy place, right? Right? But then it says this. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Oh, sorry. He set my feet on the rock, gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. I want to say this, man. We, we should look back. We should look back. Uh, you know, one of, one, of the, one of my texts when I first got saved was this, Lamentations 3.19. And it says this. It says, I remember the bitterness and the gall. And I thought, that is exactly what my life was like before I got saved. And then the whole tone of Lamentations changes. And it says, and yet this I call to mind. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Yes, I can remember that stuff, but because of the Lord's great love, I am not consumed. And that's exactly the pattern of this thing. Yes, we can look back and we can understand this. We've come through some tough times. But because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Why? Because He set my feet on a rock, put a new song in my mouth. And so we can look back. We can look back. But when we look back, make the focus the good things that God has done in our lives. Does that make sense? We learn something about waiting on God. 
We learn something about waiting on God when we look back and we see these things. Faithful expectation. We wait on God with faithful expectation. The Latin title of this psalm is this, Expectance Expectavi. Expectance Expectavi, which indicates both eagerness and patience. <clears throat> that seemed like a bit of a... Yeah? But it's eagerness. Yes, I'm waiting on you, Lord. But I'm going to wait on you, Lord, because I trust you. Because I know you know best. Because the Lord is my shepherd. Does that make sense? You doing right? So in a sense, that, that Latin title, expectance, expectavi, in a sense it doubles the verb there. And it's, so if we translate it in English, it would look like this. Expectantly, I expect the Lord to act. Expectantly, I expect the Lord to act. So we can look back. We can look back on our salvation. We can look back on the good things the Lord has done. Even as we trust Him for things in the right now. Even as we trust Him for things now. I, I, I want to encourage you, you know, I want to encourage you to journal, my friends. I want to encourage you to journal. When you have your devotional time, have a journal there. You don't have to spend 30 minutes reading and 30 minutes journaling, but write some stuff down. Write down your prayers. And you know what's been an incredible blessing to me? And I've done this ever since I got saved. But you know what's an incredible thing for me is to go back in my old journals and read my journals. And sometimes I do that for my devotional time. I'll pick an old journal and I'll read an old journal. And whatever color I was writing in, red or black, I'll take another color. And I just put these big check marks. Yes, Lord, you did that. I was praying about that five years ago and I can see that thing is in my life right now. Yes, Lord. That makes sense. It's looking back and seeing the good things God has done. You did right? Looking upwards. It says this, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods, here we go, verse 5. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. I want to tell you this, my friends. Looking up is a deliberate action. It's a deliberate action. A lifestyle of worship is a deliberate action. A lifestyle of adoration is a deliberate action. Abraham looked up, the Bible tells us in Genesis 3, Abraham looked up and saw the mountain that the Lord had told him about. He looked up, the Bible tells us, and saw the ram caught in the thicket, saw the provision of God. Amazing thing, you know, with the 5,000 seated and the five loaves and the two fish, the Bible says Jesus looked up and gave thanks. Isn't that beautiful? He looked up saw the greatness of God, looked up in worship and adoration of his Father, and then gave thanks. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. And 5,000 are fed, and the Bible says they all went away satisfied. Isn't that incredible? You want people to leave here every Saturday night satisfied? Look up in worship. Look up in worship. Carry that thing. Lord, you are good. Lord, you are great. Look up. It's a deliberate action. We have to lift our eyes constantly, looking up to see the goodness and the bigness of our God. You do not? 
Singing songs is worship. But it's the simplest form of worship. Far more profound is a lifestyle of worship. A lifestyle of adoration. A lifestyle gives honor and glory. A lifestyle that demonstrates confidence in God. A lifestyle that's not easily rattled. A lifestyle that is consistent. A lifestyle that demonstrates contentedness. Such a big thing in our day. Eh? I want to tell you there's a lie. There's a lie of the devil. And that lie is this. More. That's the lie. More. Well, let me ask you, how much is more? And let me tell you, the, 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 the devil can use that. Devil can use that in our own lives. You should pray more. Well, we should all pray more. I get it. But how much is more? It's unreasonable guilt. I had a friend of mine that died very suddenly. Went into, went into hospital on, uh, on a Sunday night with a mild headache. And by Wednesday, they, 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 uh, switched the machines off. 36 years old. Leukemia on the brain. And I want to tell you, this lie of more, the devil came and lied to me and said, you should have prayed more. Now let me tell you, I was in the hospital, no jokes, I'm not, I'm not boasting or bragging or making this about me, I'm trying to illustrate something. I was in that hospital 20 to 22 hours a day for the three, for the three days that he was there. You should have prayed more. And when I gave that answer, I was there 20 hours a day. The answer was this. No, you should have prayed more over the last 10 years. Isn't that unreasonable guilt? See, you should do more. It's a lie. Because what we have to rest in is in the completed work of Jesus Christ. He did it all. Jesus could do no more. Yeah? Because he said this, it is finished. A more accurate translation, it's complete. A better translation, it is completely complete. I can add not one single thing to it. And I need add not one single thing to it. And in fact, when Paul talks about those people that try and make us feel as if we can add to it, he calls them vicious dogs. Watch out for those dogs. When you get history, you've got to understand that's about the strongest language he can use. Dogs in those days weren't like nice little furry Come little, no, no, no. I wasn't like that, right? They were, they, they were filthy. They ran in packs. They were vicious, and they carried disease. Those were the dogs of the. And, and Paul says, "You dogs." That's some, some strong language. Yeah, them be fighting words. Yeah, isn't that right? Let me tell you something. Don't let the enemy lie to you. Don't let the enemy lie to you. You know, I prayed long and hard about that text. As a young believer, I prayed long and hard. I, I want to say honestly, maybe years. I prayed about that text. Lord, how can I get to the end of my life? Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm using an illustration again. right? I mean, Jesus said it's finished and he was talking about salvation and the complete work of salvation. But, but I prayed this prayer and I said this. I said, Lord, how can I get to the end of my life and be able to say with confidence and integrity, Lord, it's finished. Everything you required of me, I've done in my life. That's the lifestyle I want to live. I prayed for years. Honestly. I think it was years I prayed on that question. Lord, how can I get to the end of my life and say, Lord, it's finished. 
every single thing you required of me I've done Lord when the answer came it was so simple that you wonder why I had to pray years on it and I felt God say this if you put your head on the pillow every night and you say Lord it's finished everything you required of me this day Lord is done then at the end of your life you'll be able to say the same thing See, don't get caught up in more don't get caught up in more take care of today take care of today take care of today you doing alright? Okay, looking inwards. He says this. Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here am I. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. And here we go. This is the key text. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. Now, now listen, honestly, man, I... I mean, those of you that know me, you'll know this. I, I'm, I'm not much on looking inwards. I'm not much of a navel gazer. I'm not very introspective. If I've done wrong, I'll apologize and I'll move on real quick. And I, and I trust you can accept my apology and you can move on real quick because I'm going to be three blocks down the road. <laughs> See, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm just being real vulnerable. Is that okay? I'm not much of an introspective person. I don't beat myself up if I did wrong. I apologize quickly. But, but then I'm done. <laughs> is that, is that right? but let me tell you something I've had to learn the discipline because it's a biblical perspective that we examine ourselves every now and then and that's what this, and that's what this scripture is talking about when it says this we look inwards but here's what we should find when we look in I long to do your will I desire to do your will and anything that separates anything that gets in the way anything that slows that anything that trips that up that's what we've got to say. Lord, help me get rid of this thing. Help me make these adjustments that I can make. You doing alright? Matthew 6.33, we all know it. Seek first the kingdom of God. You know what I want to say this? In all things, this is my translation, in all things, big and small, seek first the kingdom of God. In all things, big and small, in the little things, in the little decisions that you make, Seek the kingdom of God. In the public things, it's easy, right? Seek the kingdom of God. In the private things where nobody's looking, seek the kingdom of God. In the big things that everybody's going to see and in the small things that nobody's going to see and nobody will ever know about, seek first the kingdom of God. Amazing thing. We're not going to read this whole text, but Philippians 2 and we know this is, you know, I'm going to skip ahead for the sake of time. But verse 5 says this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Uh, how many of you think that's going to take you a lifetime? Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Okay, we're not going to pray on that for five minutes and then go, okay, it's done, Lord. My attitude and your attitude, they're not going to happen. We're going to have some adjustment to do, right? And you know what that word, how many of you have told your kids, Change your attitude. You need to change your attitude. Yeah, isn't that true? You know what that word means? Attitude? It means this. An exercise of the mind with regards to obedience. That's what that is. An exercise of the mind with regard to obedience. 
That's why we can tell our kids, change your attitude. Why? What are we asking them to do? Listen, son, I'm asking you to exercise your mind in regard to obedience. That's what I'm asking you to do. Because how many of you know, as, a, as an adult, when you've got a bad attitude, you say, I, 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 it's hard to change it, isn't it? It is, it is hard. Because you've got a bad attitude. And it's, and it's worse when you feel justified in your attitude. That's even worse. Yeah? But it's an exercise of the mind with regard to obedience. So when we say this, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. We're asking ourselves to exercise our mind with regard to obedience until my attitude is the same as that of Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? It's an exercise of the mind. Just like looking up was a deliberate choice, this thing here is a deliberate choice. Does that mean we get it right all the time? No, it doesn't. So what do we do when we get it wrong? Apologize quickly and move on. Are you doing right? Apologize quickly and move on. Doesn't it amaze you that you deal with the same things over and over? Or is that just me? Huh? Because isn't it like you've got something in your life, you know, you've got something in your life and you wrestle with that. And you go, and then you feel like you've got victory in it, right? Yeah? And you feel like, oh, God's really helped me, yeah, man. I'm really doing much better. And then five years later, you're dealing with that same thing. And you're like, where did that come from? You know? I, I want to tell you, there's some Shrek wisdom here, right? Some wisdom from Shrek. Yeah? These are like onions. They make you cry? No. What was the other line? They stink? No. Layers. Onions have layers. And I want to tell you this. When we've dealt with something in the early part of our walk with the Lord, and then we're starting to come to maturity, and we deal with it again, let me encourage you. You're dealing with it at a different level. You're dealing with it at another layer. You're not dealing with the same thing. Don't get all introspective and go, oh, well, I thought I had that dealt with five years ago. No, you did have it dealt with at that level five years ago. But where God wants you now, He needs to deal with it at a deeper level. He needs to take another layer off. That's an encouragement, right? Don't get introspective. Just go, you know what? That's brilliant. (laughs) It's wonderful. (laughs) I know I thought I had this thing dealt with 15 years ago, then 12 years ago, then three... Yeah. And I felt, I felt like I've dealt with this thing five times in my walk with the Lord. But you know what? It's beautiful. Because the Lord is my shepherd and He knows me. And now He's helping me deal with it at another level again. Are you doing right? Don't get introspective. Don't go, I thought I had this dealt with when I first got saved. No. It's another level and another layer. You doing right? I want to tell you this, my friends. Here's the, here's the, here's the, here's the danger. That's just the way I am. You just have to love me the way I am. Well, that's kind of true. But it's an immature response. Because the Bible says this. Jesus looking at the disciples, who who we have no idea that he had any time with before that, or any protracted conversation. Come follow me. Yeah? And I will make you. Yeah, but let's just leave it as I will make you. Yeah? So let me tell you something. If we are not being remade, if we are not being reformed, if we are not adjusting our attitude, then we have to say this. Either I'm not following, 
or he's not good for his word. I know which one I'm going to pick. So to say, well, that's just it. That's the way I am. You've got to love me the way I am. That's an immature response. What we need to do is tuck in a little closer to Jesus. Say, Jesus, come and remake me. I'm following you. You make me. I follow. That's my responsibility. You make me. That's your responsibility. Come and adjust anything you need to adjust, Lord. So that I may give glory to you. So that I may see your kingdom come. So I may bring honor to your name in the time that I'm on us. You doing right? Okay, looking outwards. Looking outwards. You doing right? Looking outwards. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. Isn't that wonderful? Just in that little, in that little text, right? I proclaim your saving acts. I do not seal my lips. I do not hide. I speak of. I do not conceal. Just in that little text. Let me tell you something, my friends. Witnessing in a Bible context was, a, was not a task. It was an identity. You be my witnesses. Didn't say you will do my witness in. You will be my witnesses. And let me tell you something. When we, when we embrace these things, when we allow the Lord to make us and remake us and reshape us, this will become our identity. Not something we have to do. Yeah? I don't have to get up in the morning and think about being a man. Right? Why not? Because that's who I am. That's my identity. Does that, does that make sense? And I want to tell you something. That's what God wants to do to us with this regard. God wants to so impart to us, so anoint us, so remake us, reshape us, reform us, that this becomes my identity. I will not hide. I do not conceal. I speak of your love. You doing all right? I want to tell you this, my friends. For this community and for ours, and, and we're part of a church that's only... I'm scared to tell you how long it took me to drive here from Westminster this afternoon. <laughs> I might have beaten your time there, buddy. I, don't know. I was gunning it. But we're part of a congregation that's only 15, 20 minutes away from you. Right? I, I mean, we get, we get this area. I know I don't sound like y'all, but I am an American. I've got an American passport. Yeah, so we get this area. I'm speaking as an American. We, we, get, we get this area. And I'm going to tell you something, my friends. What this area needs is more of Jesus. What this area needs is the good news. Yeah? The good news is still good news. We've got to settle that. The good news is still good enough. We've got to settle that. Yeah? And let me tell you something. When we immerse ourselves in this thing and we allow God to pour out on us, to shepherd us, let me tell you something. You know what we're going to realize? The good news gets gooder and gooder. Yeah? I, I, I got saved in 1989. And I, I, listen, I needed to get saved, right? I, I mean, I wasn't the kind of kid that got in trouble for singing too loud in the choir. When I got in trouble, I, I was really in trouble. And so I needed to get saved. I desperately needed to get saved. That's why I said, I, when I read that thing in Lamentations, it, it's about me. I remember the wandering, the bitterness, and the gall. Turned 15 in Europe on my own. Left home when I was 14. Turned, don't any of you kids be getting any ideas. 
than 15 in Europe on my own. Yeah? Got saved at 25. Darkest 10 years. Most painful 10 years of my life. 15 to 25. Every major regret that I have in my life, I can put in those 10 years. Every major regret I can put in those 10 years. But let me tell you something. When the good news came, something changed. But I want to say this. So from 1989 to now, how many years is that? Easy. <laughs> A lot, my daughter says. I, I want to tell you this, my friends, and I trust this. This should be true for all of us. I, I, I can guarantee that I am more excited about the gospel now than I have ever been. This thing shouldn't get old. It shouldn't get tired. You know, Bob Mumford, he always used to say, you know, when somebody gets saved, they're so radical and they're so wild. He said, we should lock them away for a year or two. They do more harm, they do more damage than good. We should lock them away for a year or two so they can learn some things. And then we turn them loose on the world. Well, I mean, he says that tongue-in-cheek. But sometimes the opposite is also true. By the time the guy's learned something, we can't get him off the couch to go make something happen. Right? Now your faith has manured. Uh, I mean matured. <laughs> Shouldn't be so, my friends. We should be getting more and more excited. Right. Every day we with Jesus, we should be more excited about Jesus. Why? Because His revelation is progressive. Right. Yeah, no, His revelation about Himself is progressive. If we only had Genesis, do you think we'd know all that we know about Jesus? No. But we've got Genesis to Revelation. And so God progressively reveals Himself. His revelation is progressive. And in my walk and your walk with God, His revelation to us will be progressive. His revelation of Himself. We should be getting more excited. The longer we've walked with God, the more on fire we should be. The more convinced we should be. This is good news. You doing all right? Looking around. We're just about done. You doing, are you doing okay? Can I finish this real quick? Looking around. Tough times will come. <clears throat> and this scripture here says this, For troubles without number surround me. Tough times will come. Tough times will come. But it's in those times that we can go back to verse 5. Many, O oh Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. Yeah? No trouble that we ever face will outweigh the goodness of God, the grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God. Many, O oh Lord, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. No one can recount them to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Let me tell you again, my friends, it's a, it's a deliberate choice. And I know these, some, for some of you, possibly these are tough words to hear, but it's a deliberate choice to focus on the goodness of God. You know, between those ages, 15 and 25, I spoke to my mom a few times, but I, I, I didn't talk to my dad for 10 years. That was, that was the reason I left home. But at the age of 25, I got saved. And soon after that, I felt God speak this scripture into my life. Let the dead bury the dead. And I, at first I was like, you know, what, what does that mean? Is somebody dying, Lord? And I felt God say this to me. 
I don't want you to stand at the side of your father's grave and say, I wish I told my dad I love him. So I left that meeting and I went and I called my dad. See, it's a deliberate choice, my friends. I went and called my dad. I hadn't spoke to my dad for 10 years. And I called my dad and I said, Hey, dad. He said, Who's this? He's only got one son. I don't know how many grown men are going to call him and say, Hey, dad. But anyway, nevertheless, I said, Hey, dad. He said, Who's this? I said, It's me. He said, Yeah. I said, Dad, I'm just calling to tell you I love you. He said, Okay. And he put the phone down. 10 minutes later, my mom called. She's like, You okay, right? Everything okay with you? Thought I was losing my marbles a little bit. But you know what? I started a deliberate journey. 400 miles. I would drive that 400 miles regularly to go and sit with my parents, to go and meet with my parents. Sandy knew me in those days. Sandy saw me rebuild a relationship with my parents. Never sat on my dad's lap as a, as a kid. So I would sit on his lap as an adult. Big gray beard. Didn't have much hair on the top of his head. But I'd stroke that old dome up there. And I'd tell him, I love you, Pop. And he'd look out the window and whistle, but the tears would come down his cheeks. Didn't know how to do it. He grew up with an alcoholic father. He used to rip him out of bed at 3 o'clock in the morning and beat him with a piece of electric flex. Absolutely amazing to see a grown man that does not understand love. And then one day, breakthrough of breakthroughs. I said to him, I love you, Dad. He said, you know how I feel about you, son. What a breakthrough. Huh? I'll take it. But you know what? I had the privilege of leading my mom and my dad to the Lord. My mom and my dad to the Lord. My mom and my dad became two of my best friends anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the world. And my dad went from a, went from a place of, of not being able to, not having a concept of love, married to my mom for 40 years and would sign birthday cards and Christmas cards. Regards, Mick. Didn't have a concept of love. Let me tell you, when the good news broke into his life, it so radically transformed him that he could not tell you enough times how much he loved you. I would call him back in South Africa and I'd say, Hey, Pop, how are you doing? Oh, you know I love you, boy. Okay, Dad, I get it. But how are you doing? Oh, yeah, no, no, I'm doing fine. I just want to tell you I love you, my bud. Okay, Dad, how's this thing going and how's that? I love you too much, my boy. Dad, I get it. I'm asking for information. How are you doing? I, I love you, my boy. Isn't that amazing? How the gospel breaks in and changes things. When I tell my kids about my father, they, they met him later on. right? They saw the, the come follow me, I will make you version of my dad. When I tell these about my dad, they think, I'm t- I, they think I'm talking about somebody else. But isn't that what it is? Born again. It's not like a little panel beating and a little body shop and some putty on there and a spray can. Oh, let's just slap some. No, this is born again. You doing right? That's our Savior. That's our Shepherd. That's our Shepherd. I sat with my mom and my mom was dying of cancer. And my mom was British. She always used to tell me I was born in the shadow of Tower Bridge. If you know England, that's like a famous land. Like, I don't know what we would say here. I guess if you're French, born in the shadow of the Eiffel Tower kind of thing. That's what, it was that kind of equivalent. And I'm not sure she was 
Because I've heard other English people say that, and I'm sure that not that many could be born exactly under the shadow of Tower Bridge. But the point is this, she was English. And English is very stiff upper lip, very like, hold yourself and don't let your emotions go. And my mom was dying of cancer, my mom had brain cancer. And she carried herself with this dignity. I mean, you would never know. You would never know my mom was sick. Carried herself with such dignity. And I flew home from America to go and be with her. Just one day she was down. And I said to her, you okay, mom? Doctors told us she should be in pain. She should be having convulsions. And she wasn't doing any of those things. And just this one day she was down. And I sat with her. I said to her, you okay, mom? And she said, yeah, I'm okay. I said, Mom, are you in pain? You've got to tell us because we can go back to the doctor. And she said, no, nah, I'm okay. My dad was sitting there too. My dad lost his leg in a mining accident before I was born. I said to my mom, are you okay, Mom? She said, yeah, I'm okay. I said, Mom, you've got to tell me what's wrong. You've got to tell me if something's bugging you. If we need to go back to the doctor, if we need to do something, we'll do it, Mom. Just tell me what's wrong. She said, I think I'm dying, son. I said, I know you are, Mom. But let me tell you about the resurrection. You see, troubles without number can surround us. But so many, Lord, are the wonders of your hand. The resurrection. I know you died, Mom. But let me tell you about the resurrection. And I said to Mom, when, I look, when I'm walking down the corridors of heaven looking for you, I'm not going to be looking for how you look now. My mom was English but of Spanish descent. My mom looked like a Mexican beauty. Dark skin, long flowing black hair. I said, Mom, I've got a photo of you in your wedding day. I said, that's who I'm going to be looking for when I come down the corridors of heaven. I said, and you, Dad. Tears started to run down her cheeks. I said, and you, Dad. I said, I'll see you too. I said, it's going to be the first time I see you walk without a limp, Dad. Tears started to run down his cheeks. See, many Great are the troubles that surround us. But we have hope. Are you doing all right? Looking forward. May all who seek you rejoice you, be glad in you. I'm rushing this now so we can finish. I want to tell you this, my friends. We can look forward with great anticipation and excitement. Not just to a great future here and now but we can look forward with great anticipation to the return of our Lord. And I'm going to close here. If we can get ready, we want to, I want to just break with you guys. Just take communion with you. Is that okay? The guys that are going to take communion, if we can get set up for it. We look forward with great anticipation and great excitement. There's a scripture in Second Peter. And it says this. It speaks about us looking forward looking forward to the day of our Lord. And that word, that word there in the Greek is this, it's prosdakeo. Yeah? No, no, it's a big word. Prosdakeo. So it's a big word and it's a strong word. And it means this, it means to look forward with great anticipation and great excitement. Yeah? Now let me illustrate that for you. My sister's still alive in New Zealand and she called me yesterday if my sister was 
called me yesterday to tell me, hey, TK, you know what? By the way, I'm flying in on Friday to come visit you. I wouldn't be prostakeo. Wouldn't I be looking forward to Friday with great anticipation and great excitement to see my sister? Yeah? Okay, now let me pull you back a little bit. Let me tell you something. If I had a doctor's, a dentist appointment on Friday, can you see that? It's still an appointment I must keep, but I am not prostakeo about going to the dentist. Does that make sense? But the Bible uses that word. We are prostakeo. We are looking forward with great anticipation and excitement to a future that includes us being with our Lord and Savior. That includes us being with our shepherd for all eternity.